0: For the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc.
1: Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 147. In the course of recording thousands upon thousands of minutes of podcasts, interviews, and banter and such. We've been able to talk to some of our childhood heroes, people we grew up idolizing, and and some of the folks we didn't know that we should have been idolizing behind the projects that we love so much that are part of our musical DNA. This program is going to be uh, one of those instances where we get to talk to literal legends about legendary work. My name is Demo Carter, AKA Dem One. I am joined in Zoom by Mr. Nate LeBlanc. Nate, what type of shirt do you have on for the listeners? I can't quite make it out. It seems to be a cardigan, and then maybe it's a hoodie. So, or maybe you have a scarf on. Please elaborate.
2: Um, It makes me sad that it's this confusing, but I'm wearing a a heathered navy blue t-shirt and then my needle to the groove uh, hoodie yeah yeah okay I think you're confused because I every other time you've ever seen me I've had a cardigan on okay (laughs) okay from from the neck up you kind of it looks low-key I need to get a
1: Uh, checkup master's program (laughs) down here a little more b-boy uh glad to have you on the program again sir glad to be Uh, here we are joined also by the um the weatherproof has a t-shirt on all times of year Mr. David Ma, how's it going?
3: Yo, hey guys, it's good to be back. I was going to go shirtless for this Zoom session, but, um, you know, I, <laughs> I'm glad I threw on this uh, MF Doom shirt. How you guys doing? Man, uh, it's, it's, it's going here. We're, we're
1: inching towards the end of a fantastically bad year um, in many respects, but in some ways a really good year for Jad Bod Rap Pod. Um, Today's program is another one of those that, um, you know, I'm really excited about and allows us to, you know, make contact with history, really. Um, So I've kind of hinted towards it in the open. We are going to be talking about Brand Nubians One for All, which came out December 4th, 1990, which if you do the math, apparently 1990 was 30 fucking years ago. Jesus. W- which is Sounds which is weird. wild, yeah, yeah. I I'm much more of the 1980 was 20 years ago crowd, but that's not true. Uh, so we we have the the pleasure of speaking with uh, Sadat X, a brand newbie, as well as uh, Dante Ross, who A and R the project. Guys, this came out. You guys were like seven, no? Like where where does <laughs> let's start with you, Nate? Where where did you find? Uh, all for one, and, and kind of how did it strike you upon upon listening to it?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. This came out when I was ten. I wasn't that cool um, to, to really even know what this was at the time. You didn't um, know
1: about the five percent nation yet?
2: Not yet. I didn't have <laughs> reach I didn't have knowledge of other people's selves. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I got actually really into this record when I was in college. Like I used to like oh, really? go go digging and i would like look in the bargain bin especially at the streetlight in santa cruz when i was in between classes in downtown santa cruz and look for like golden age stuff or before like i was I'd, like i'd buy like any Bismarcky cd any big daddy cane cd any rock king right. cd like i right. just i knew there were holes in my knowledge like i used to watch mm-hmm. mtv mtv raps check the videos like i knew the main stuff and actually um friend of the program cutso used all for one on a mix he did for nc skateboards it's like mm. a scratch mix but he does a little song thing at the beginning and so i always loved that song and i was like i need to find the album with that song on it that brand newbie song and so yeah I, I bought like a 395 copy of this when nobody cared about it um in probably like 1999 or 2000 and then i just ran it to death in my car like i would just listen to this all the time so that's kind of my story of when I got really into it. But listening to it um, today, and in the last little time when we knew we were to prep for this, I was struck by how funky it is. Mm. Like, uh, the kind of, Dante gets into the weird loop that Puba catches for all for one. And from there, you're off on this ride to kind of like classic break town. Like they were mm. still using right. like fairly well-known stuff and like really, really upfront. Um, bright, melodic, like just like their funk breaks. And, and the four, you know, the MCs just weave in so beautifully and make very odd use of time and like approach things with a lot of pregnant pauses. It's just, mm-hmm. Sadat in particular um, stops rapping during his <laughs> verses at very interesting <laughs> times. And after talking to him, uh, we actually recorded his interview last week and like hearing his voice in my headphones and you guys will hear in the interview, I'm like freaking out about it, that like yeah. that iconic voice is talking to me. And I kind of, I had to keep mentioning it cause it was so weird to me. Um, I just, I think the way he approached rapping was very revolutionary at the time. And I just have come to appreciate it even more.
1: Absolutely. Mr. David Ma, um, when did you find this record and, and what did it mean to you at that time?
3: um i uh, like nate um you know i wasn't uh, 30 years old in 1980 whatever so you know like i didn't i didn't i didn't check for this until i was like 19 or 20. um and i actually heard a grand Puba first um mm-hmm. solo record i think 360 or whatever um yeah that was the one that i heard first and my, my i had an older friend his name's corey shout out to corey he's sort of like an older musical stimulus type of dude so he would always like give me records and cds and stuff and and um, Brand Nubian was one of them. And I immediately was taken by it. I mean, I loved Grand Poopa. I mean, Puba is one of those dudes who, you know, for a sliver of time was like the best rapper in the world. You know what yep. I mean? There's yep. a few of these guys like Tila Rock and so-and-so was the best in the world, you know, for, for that small juncture. And Puba yep. is one of those guys. And, you know, just re-listening to the stuff recently, I mean, he's so charismatic. I fucking love it so much. And um, sort of to Nate's point earlier, I mean, to, to hear Sadat's voice, in our earbuds is just ridiculous. I mean, that's his, his Derek X on the flex. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it was it was such an honor to hear uh, Dante Ross's stories. I mean, he's he's like a walking history book. And uh, we were saying earlier, um, especially with him, he he's not name dropping. He's literally just naming people to his left and his right, and they just happen to be the Beastie Boys or Run DMC. Or, you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's absurd. But anyways, I mean, to, to sort of like bring it to a close, it was it was a big honor to have both of these guys here um, talk about it. And especially, I mean, on such a such an, a record that has, I think, aged really well. Yes. Uh, you listen to a lot of stuff at that time and it's good, but then it's good in parentheses. It's good for that time or whatnot. Yep. But yeah, dude, it's still such an enjoyable record. It's like putting on like an old rock record that doesn't seem to age, even though it sounds old. Um, what about you, Damone, since you're the Lord Jamar of the group? <laughs> <laughs> All for one. Um,
1: yeah, I, when this record came out, it's like 12 or 13, um, and definitely well on my way of uh, being radicalized or discovering identity through rap music. Mm-hmm. So um 1990, you know, we're coming off of Public Enemy's first two albums. Um, I believe X-Clan's first album came out in 90, To the East Black um, mm. And so this was part of that tradition of like, um, you know, African nationalism, all those types of things, those themes were like running real heavy. So that was kind of when I, when I picked up on that and that that's what these guys were about. I immediately, like, gravitated towards it. But um, I think both of you have spoken to this point very well. Maybe in a way that some of the other uh, more socially conscious releases of that time did not have, there was a, a funkiness and a groove um, to Brand New bean And also uh, very updated, uh, their styles. They weren't sacrificing style to get a point across. It's almost like you could tell they were new to 5%. <laughs> and they had just been like rappers before, you know what I mean? Where right, as right. an X-Clan, you're getting the politics front and center, public enemies very similar. Yeah. So that's kind of how I experienced Brand New being as like this really new and refreshing take on the, the Black identity music of, of that era. Um, and also, you know, being struck by um, Grand Puba, not only being – the best rapper alive for a period of time. You could argue, yeah, there was like a 12 or 18 months where that was definitely true, but also like an icon of style. And I wish mm-hmm. we didn't get to ask in the Dante Ross interview, but I, I wonder if that was apparent, you know, very early on, because right. thinking about it and kind of looking back on it, um, his fashion sense and sensibilities became a template. Like I wanted to get Jabot's jeans and polo <laughs> shirts and all that kind of stuff. And Kanye kind of riffed on that too in his, uh, yeah. in his Louis Vuitton Don era was kind of a callback to some of the stuff Poobah was doing. But also lyrically, I think he actually invented swagger. Like you, yeah. you get swaggy on a verse, like you kind of yeah. lay yeah. out and, and move around in these interesting ways that we're all kind of cognizant of that the ladies were watching. You know what I mean, like, right. which was interesting to have that layer again. You don't get that with an ex-clan or or public enemy. In mm-hmm. Brad Nubian, you get mm-hmm. there is like a sex appeal, and there is like a, this idea that um, these guys are are spitters. And so, totally. um, yes, the record is aged amazingly well, and I think um, it's one of those that is worth checking out, um, no matter what age you are. Um, it's a seminal release. And honestly, there aren't too many things that are 30 years old that I would say that you have to listen to um, <laughs> if you consider yourself a, a, a student um, of, of this culture. Uh, we didn't get into it on the in either of these interviews, but like what could have what could have Brand Newbie and Ben had they stayed together? Nate, your thoughts.
2: That's interesting. Um... I think they could definitely be more recognized as a group. Like who um, was probably the biggest solo act that came out of it and kind of was the biggest act going into it as we, as we're going to hear. Mm-hmm. And th- 360 was a big deal in my yeah. world. Like, it, like part of it was like the Range Rover and the the cool jacket, right? Like he just looked really cool. He rhymed amazingly. He right. always picked really good beats. He always rhymed over soulful stuff. Um This the, the next, couple brand newbie records where it's the other guys without him they just don't they're just they're just missing something and i think one of the things that's really interesting about this learning process of talking to the people who put this together is that in many ways this was a group of individuals yeah and that Mm -hmm. it, it they were they were a group they got signed as a group but everybody had different agendas. And so what, what could they have been? I think, I think uh, probably bigger than black sheep and not quite as big as tribe or law. Like they, which is kind of where they ended up anyway, yeah, uh, totally. the strength totally. of off the strength of this, this album, mostly I would say, but perhaps a little bit more prominent yeah. in, in the public imagination, maybe on the second record, they could have had a uh, 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 choice is yours kind of moment. I right. think for a lot of people, the song that they're known for is Slow Down, which has the Edie Brackell, um sure. sample, which I think is, is clearly like an earworm and make, makes me want to listen to the, the main song when I hear it. But to me, never was like a earth-shaking rap song. It's a good song. I like it. I have the 12-inch, but like... It's, it's not my favorite thing in the world it's certainly not a an, an anthem in the way of some of these other groups well
1: <laughs> but speaking of, of anthemic though um, the the second album is where we do get punks jump up to get beat down wildly right. homophobic but also um, but also was a was a their big a big record and probably their last big record uh, Grand Pooba's not on that album right um, so it, it's never it's never quite the same Dave uh, what do you think if, if they were to have to stay together, kind of where does the where would the group be in terms of our thinking about them?
3: Well, you know, I think after talking to Dante, it, it, I think a lot of it would have rested on his decisions. Right. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, having Puba there, um, you know, every time I think of an English muffin, I think of David Ruffin <laughs> <laughs> right. because of Puba. So, I mean, right. he, he has this like staying power and he would have been it's like dropping cool Keith, uh, you know, into a group. Yeah and seeing what happens, um, sure. maybe to not that extent, but uh, I don't know if that's a, a fully uh, realized um, analogy. But um, I think it just kind of depends on how big their second album was and you know what songs were on it and what decisions went into it that made it what it was or made it what it wasn't. Um, but I mean, I think obviously in comparison of the two, the first one is far superior and- Oh, sure. Obviously because um, pooba's on it, but I think just the entire vibe as well. Um, sure it's yeah so that's sort of my take i i think i i agree with nate you know in terms of you know where they would land um you know if they had a black sheep choice as yours uh they would probably be still um you know venerated a little bit more
1: mm, that's a that's a really really interesting point also interesting after hearing all the stories and you're going to hear the stories in just a moment that they labeled it all for one like it was <laughs> it was it was apparently a much more fraught process than that title would, uh, would suggest, which is, you know, that's, that's part of the process. Um, I would definitely like to uh, at some point circle back and I'm not sure what the anniversary lineup is, but um, to talk to Dante Ross about third base. Yes.
3: And like, he touches
1: on it just a little bit uh, in our interview, but uh, speaking of groups that were kind of like formed and, and, you know, had these bitter rivalries within it. Right. Um, so yeah, 30 years later, gosh, that's um wow. Uh, 30 years later. You're blowing all, your own mind. I know. I know. Cause I, you know, when you like encounter something as like a fully realized person, like I was kind right. of a kid, but I wasn't really a kid anymore. Like I, you know, I, right. I, I, this, I remember going to buy this when it came out, Crazy. um, which is, yeah. Anyway, I will, I will cease dating myself, but, uh, <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely a a record folks to check out it's definitely accessible in a way that a lot of albums from 1990 are not also we didn't get super deep in it on the dante interview but i would um i would encourage folks to also kind of study up on stimulated dummies um mm-hmm. and and all the stuff that dante was a part of that but that 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 is a production unit probably unheralded um in terms of all of the work that they did underheld heralded um all right so with that being said we have two you know i'll say it two amazing interviews lined up for y'all stay tuned dad bod Rat pod All right, Dad Bod Rap Pod, we're back with another dope interview. Joining us in Zoom, we have the legendary Sadat X. Hey. What's happening, man?
4: Everything is good, man. Life is good, man. It's the best I can make it right now. Um, yeah. You know, I'm doing all right right now. You know, I got a new daughter,
1: so, you know, everything is okay. lovely in the world. Okay. Cool. Congratulations. Thank uh, you. We, uh, we're obviously big fans of your work. We want to talk about your entire career and, and also your new project. But um, I just wanted to start with taking it back. Like, uh, you're from the Bronx, Yeah, i
4: from the Bronx. I'm originally from the Bronx.
1: So, so how did it all start? Like, how did you, you make that transition um, into being, like, a professional, you know, rapping, rapping as, as, a, as a lifestyle? When, did, when well, did that happen for you?
4: I guess, you know, I grew up, you know, um, between the Bronx and New Rochelle, which is a suburb of the Bronx. So, you know, the majority of my family was still in the Bronx. So, you know, I just grew up of, of seeing like hip hop in its in raw infantile stages and in it when it was actually still in the parks, still in the, the direct rooms and, you know, the community centers, I just was out there young. I was going to a young, you know what I'm saying? I was a youngster and, and loving the sound. Uh, you know at that time, man, as as we know uh hip hop was created as an outlet for basically uh back then black and spanish people um you know it was a time and especially in the Bronx, it was no government funding or anything like that uh you know you had wides wide paths of of the community that was cut off when they built the Bronx. You know when they built the expressway, that 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 kind of killed the Bronx middle class, cause the Bronx did mm-hmm. have a middle class. It kind of killed that. Mm-hmm. The the landlords then and thus sat on the the buildings, burning them out, creating whole burnt out blocks, and you know kids had to make do with what they what they had. Actually, Jimmy Carter came and de- declared it a, a disaster zone. That was one of the first places I've, I believe FEMA and those type of organizations went to. So it grew out of of just of kids having nothing to do, you know. That's why I was in, embraced like that, and that's why it basically started at that grassroots level. And you know, I was fortunate enough to be young, but to still see the greats, the Cold Crush Brothers, you know, mm. five MCs, like you know, stuff like that. So that, that's that's where I was upbringing in it.
3: Dope, dope. So, Dot. I mean, we we definitely need to move it forward a little bit and talk a bit about uh, Brand Nubian. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, especially with one for all, um, Dante Ross is uh, a friend of some of us here, and you know, I wanted to sort of bring up that relationship. Like, uh, he was he famously AR'd you guys' project, and you know, just how did you meet Dante? How did he strike uh, well, you? Well,
4: well, I met Dante through Puba. See, Dante had known Puba for a little while because, uh, mm. you know, Don uh, Puba had the Masters of Ceremony group, and uh, you know, Puba and, and Dante first had the initial relationship, and um. When we were trying to get a deal, you know, uh, he was going to get Puba a deal, and he was like, Pooh I was like, yo, I got these these brothers with me. And, you know, we at first, I think Dante was at Tommy Boy, and we had to wait for a minute for him to leave Tommy Boy and mm-hmm. board it to Elektra. But Dante was always cool, man, always a good, and uh, mm-hmm. always firsthand, come to every session, sit there all night if we sat there all night. So, you know,
2: besides that, we developed a deep friendship.
1: Mm-hmm. Dope, dope.
2: Sadat, so, you have such an iconic voice, and to be honest with you, it's kind of weird hearing it come, come through the headphones right now. I guess I, what I want to ask you is, like, have you always possessed that gift, and is that one of the reasons that you wanted to start rapping? Can you just talk a little bit about how your, your voice has helped define your art? Well, at first, I didn't think people liked my
4: voice. Like, you know, um, it w- it was strange. It was even strange to me, but over the years that became a separation factor you know Mm -hmm. like that that was one of the things that separated me and that's what I tell a lot of rappers you know you 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 have to find something inherent to inherit to yourself that separates you from everybody else and I believe that my voice you know when I didn't like it at first coming out became probably my greatest attribute in separating me from everybody else so you know it was it was strange you know I'm People still say that, you know, it's strange to hear me actually speak because they say a lot of times (laughs) when I'm regularly speaking, it sounds like I'm rhyming or that type of pattern. So, you know, that that was my separation factor.
1: That's that's so dope. Uh, But also in addition to that, you have the voice, but then I would also say that your approach to rhyme schemes um, is different than a lot of rappers, and that started, you know, from hearing All For One, I was just kind of like, oh, who's this dude? He's got a, a different approach to it. How did that kind of thing develop? You're obviously around legends and, and growing up in the Bronx, but when did you kind of make that decision to, to take your, your styles and your cadences in a different direction? I believe that was from, um, actually, that
4: was from me reading as a youth, man. Like A lot of these kids today, they don't re- actually read a book. You understand? They'll they'll go on the computer, but a, a book in your hand to read, like it, it 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 they don't do that. And by me reading, like I read everything, man. Like hmm. I read the encyclopedias. Like I remember my mother got the Encyclopedia Britannica, Britannica, and I read each one of those books from from A to Z. You know, just different reading materials. Always being reading, always. You know the quest for knowledge, because a lot of time when you, when you, when you read something, especially if you really read it and did the knowledge to it, you retain a lot of that information. And I think that always helped me, man, like to be kind of like broad topic and 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 able to put things in a different spin from just knowing different stuff. I to this day I still read. I, I'm reading all the time.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Sadat. I mean, yeah, you mentioned reading. Obviously, obviously, your writing acumen is. Is something that's um, the. There's a lot to be said about that. Um, through the years, you've worked with all kinds of producers: Primo, uh, Diamond D, Lord Finesse, like the greats. When Sadat X gets a beat, what's the first thing that goes through your mind, and how do you how do you approach it? Well, that?
4: when I first get a beat, I like I like the you know I got I got many ways to approach it, man like in no one way is the same way all the time. Sometimes I have a beat and I'll sit on it for a minute. And let it grow and 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 take it from there, do it piece by piece, so sometimes mm-hmm. I hear something, and I'll write it as soon as I get the beat i it'll be sent back within an hour. you understand, mm-hmm. so d- depending on on how I'm feeling the beat, on what type of day I had, what I saw outside because in my rhymes you know all all rhymes have have the you know dramatical effect, you know like. It's like like a movie, you know, like I said, when you write a movie, you know, you, it's, a lot of it's done for dramatic. But I would say that w- with myself, 85 to 90% of what I write, I've actually seen or experienced. You know, mm-hmm. like for me, like I, when I read, I read a lot of nonfiction stuff. Some fiction I'll read, you know, depending on the topic and if it takes me there. But my, my main thing is nonfiction. And I think that transcribes out to, to
2: how I write. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I uh, just wanna say I liked your performance in the forty year old version. And um I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that experience, how you got involved, is acting something you're you're looking to do more of and, and just again, not to harp on it, but
4: no, 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 definitely was you man. Like I'm, I, Yeah. <laughs> like first off, Rada, who did the movie, man, she did a hell of a job with that movie, man. Like she like she wrote it and starred in it and you know, um she she called and said that she had a part for me. And, you know, I was like, I, you know, I'm, I'm with it, man. You know, and I went down and, uh, you know, we actually got on the subway, you know what I'm saying? I was a real live subway with, with, with people on it. And I wore the garb and everything where people was really thinking I was like a Muslim like that, you know, as far as that side of Muslim. And, you know, man, I, I, I enjoyed that. And I do want to go into, to more stuff like that. But like I said, um, you know, in in studying and in going into that, I would I would want to study it because I don't want to play the the roles that rappers are expected to play. Mm-hmm. You know what I mm-hmm. saying? I don't I don't want to rob nobody. I right. don't want to be in jail. I don't want to be selling no drugs to nobody. Getting in no fights, shooting nobody. Yeah. Put me as 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 a regular guy. You know, I can be I can be the the, the plumber to come in as the plumber <laughs> or something like that. Man, I I'd rather come in at a next angle. No question. <laughs>
1: that's that's what's up. Uh, so touching on that you You were in this movie, um and you've done these other projects kind of as you've gotten older you um i don't know if you still have it, but you had a program where you were reviewing wines on YouTube. Can you talk a little bit about kind of aging and hip hop and some of the other avenues that you've gotten into um yeah. as you as you've gotten older
4: well first off, people always say that uh you know what age are you going to stop listening to hip hop, and I have to explain to them whereas Hip hop, as a form of music, is still basically in its infancy. You understand when you when, when you have like things like classical music, which has, um, which has songs and compositions from Chopin and Beethoven. Those are two three hundred years old. You know what right. I'm saying? So as far as hip hop goes, hip hop is still in the, in its formation. Still, we're only fifty years out. So I I believe that. It's always chambers being made. It was a chamber above me, that maybe had a, uh, you know, Cold Crush Brothers and this and, and you know Parts of Kane and Rakim. And then I fell into a chamber of Brand Nubian with maybe Tribe and De La Soul. Then it was a chamber under us of maybe like Black Moon and you know O.G.C. So I think it's still defining itself, man. And um, what I what I do think is that you know a lot of times. Me, why I still think I have a viable place is because I stay in my lane, and not to say Mm. that I stay in my lane because it's easy to stay in my lane, but you know, I don't try to go other than myself. Like, I try to tell people, like, the young boys is going to talk about what they talk about, whether I like it. Or not this is daytime, time and this is their era the people be like well they don't have no classics being made well according to them and to their minds and to my daughters and them those <laughs> are classics being made they're just their classics and i don't want to come off like the older people used to come on oh, this rapture it ain't gonna do nothing because then i gotta think back and be like am i being that person you mm. understand now granted i don't agree with a lot of the stuff they doing and what what scares me the most about their side is you know we always smoked weed and did what we did but like i see the effects sometimes of these drugs on some of these young boys and i'm and i i'm i'm concerned for them and i'm scared for them you understand mm-hmm. because we smoked a little weed and this and that but we knew that that might not kill me you know what i'm saying these kids are taking that drugs that are killing them and i'm and i'm scared of that you know what i'm saying that's why you know hopefully they'll figure that out that's something they have to figure out but as far as myself man I just try to make music that I see around me, current music, current topics that I see, and I try to stick to my lane and, and my, my core. But then I try to reach some of the, the, the young boys, too, because every now and then you do read some of the young boys. Sometimes you mm. just got to explain it to them. And a lot of times if you explain something to the young boys, they'll look at it and be like, hmm, I didn't know that, OG. Now I know. You can't get mad at, at, at somebody for something they don't know. You have to right. teach them. You right. understand? You, you got to teach them.
3: Um, Sadat, you know, I um, obviously, uh, Brand Nubian is a, is, a, is a huge benchmark, but I want to talk about your debut, uh, Wild Cowboys. Um, okay. Love that album so much. And, uh, you know, uh, just a couple of things regarding that. I mean, one, I just want to kind of know where your head was at when, when you're putting that together. And two, you know, hip hop has embraced like the the West and cowboy fucking image. And I kind of want to know how that reflects on you and sort of what you thought about it. You being one of the first ones to sort of bring that forth.
4: All right. Well, basically, man, Wild Cowboys, man, was an amalgamation of all my people from the Bronx. I had been a solo artist previous to Brand Nubian, And um, if you look at it, like, I did a lot of that, that Wild Cowboys was was Mm DITC-based. And, you know, from the area in the Bronx where where I lived at, where I grew up at, where my people were still, I could walk down to Patterson to AG's crib, Mm -hmm. or I could walk up that way. And that's where Joe and and Showbiz and all them was. Diamond D was on that side. So it was basically in an area. I had known these dudes, you understand? So I had already known them. And, and watched them come up. So it was just a natural progression of that's what I w- was going to do. I had my man, Sean Black, on a lot of those songs. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still around, but he was in the Bronx. And uh, that was just basically my Bronx family, man, just doing something different. You know, I was out of the fold, the brand newbie. And as far as the Western image came, like, we, we, we kind of played on that. Because if you Google, really Google Wild Cowboys, Google Wild Cowboys, Washington Heights, and it's going to have a whole next, like meaning than than the cowboy gear right. that you see. Like it wasn't it wasn't really a Western thing mm. like that, but the image that they like the we did the video and stuff like that
2: came out like that. Dope, dope. Um Sadat, you have quite a few solo records spanning kind of um a couple of decades here. Is there one in particular that you would recommend for fans? Who know you from Brand Nubian or perhaps like the Wild Cowboys era or your work with diTC that you feel like was perhaps overlooked, or you feel like people should take another look at now that we have the the gift of hindsight I think people should take another look at the Experience and education album mm-hmm. and another look at
4: Black October because those are two albums that basically i didn't i didn't really get the push behind those albums for what it, for various reasons that I felt it should have been. But I, those, are to, to me, I felt are top quality albums, especially I did a song called God Is Back, uh, produced by my man DJ Spinner, which to me is still one of my favorite songs to listen to. So
3: awesome.
1: For you, I know you probably get a lot of questions about this, but can you just talk to us a little bit about what it was like doing All For One um, and being, you know with such a talented lineup of MCs was it was it competitive was it camaraderie was it kind of a mixture Did it take us back a little bit
4: well first of all um you know just like prior to that like I had just really been going to the studio like you know first Poobah was was producing songs for me and producing songs for Jamar, and he happened to make a song Jazzy J that we all rhymed on and it sounded good so we took it from there to brand Nubian, but Man, doing that album, man, I was that was blood, sweat and tears, man. It was like, you know, like we do songs and still me and Jamal still have to go to work in the morning or something like that. I was working <laughs> in a bookstore. Jamal was working, I think, in a hotel. And I uh, like, you know, we take the Metro North down from New Rochelle, and and not have enough money to get back and rely like man. we gotta we gotta sneak on the train or hide in the bathroom to get back uh you know what I'm saying? Like as we splitting food and, and beer and just being in the studio. Those was like when people t- talk about like being in the studio a lot, a long time. Like those are times we would to go to the studio with the record, loop the record, but bring first bring the records, listen to the records, mm-hmm. find something we can loop, loop it, put all the drums behind it. Didn't record the vocals on it, so we might have got to the mm. studio some days two o'clock and maybe leave three o'clock in the morning. You understand? So those were the days of those type of sessions, man. Just you know, just if if you got it five dollars, and I give y'all each one of y'all a dollar. Now I got three. You know what I'm saying? But you know, it 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 was what it it, it was what it was, man. And you know, um, those it, it 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 came out in the music, man. Like we was hungry, man. Like and we came yeah. out at a time, man, when you know like. Your first impression was your best impression, yeah. you understand <laughs> we was coming on the heels of public enemy and Rock Kim right. and Big Daddy Kane and Bismarck, so you knew you couldn't make no bullshit <laughs> Word.
3: um yeah. so that, you know sort of as we sort of close it out right now um you, i I know that like you have busy days, I know you have the uh, you like you do the wine podcast, I know you, i uh, I read that you do coaching like certainly you have very fulfilled days um. But like when do you have time to like do your artistry? Like, especially with the projects that you've been talking about. When do you have time to sort of sit down and write and get things going? I make time. Like literally I have to make time. Like I have to really be like,
4: (laughs) all right, today this is what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna do this because I'm literally running around all the time. First of all, I got a newborn. Mm. Um I'm I work in a hospital, you know, full time I work in a hospital, and now (laughs) I'm getting ready to uh I'm I'm doing a training now where I'm I'm go, I'm gonna be a, a processing technician, a sterile process where that that involves me going to class, um, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I find the time, man, and, and I, I you know I find that by by me moving like that and being productive, man, it, it keeps me going. I'm in North Carolina now, so you uh-huh. know that kind of stemmed from some of my New York stuff there. And amazingly, as it is, man, like through this pandemic, man, it seemed like. This pandemic either made it's gonna make people either for better or for worse. You either acquired some type of new skill or something you do, or you sat on your ass and lamented the situation and oh woe is me. You you was woe is me. And uh, uh, surprisingly enough, this has been one of my most productive periods musically and financially. You know, Mm -hmm. like like once I once I saw what was coming, you know, I was like, and then in my mind I was like, okay. How can i what can I do to 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 to, to get a jump start on this thing mm. i need to I, was, I need to work somewhere. Where can I work that's going to be needed that I don't want to <laughs> start a job somewhere and then it gets closed down in the middle and because this thing is right on its back hmm, they're going to always need the hospital. you understand? Let me uh-huh. find something I could do in the hospital I'm. A, I'm at Duke Hospital now, so n- okay. now by me being, being there about eight months. I've, I have done met everybody in there from the higher-ups to this. Everybody knows me, and I'm cool. Now it's like, what can I do to advance myself in the hospital? Now I found something I, I can do where now I know the higher-ups. They're like, listen, you get that certification. We guarantee you'll have a job here at Duke. You stay at Duke as long as you want to. And that's just a, a, another stream. I still got the wine stream. I still do the, my, my features. And, and hopefully one day this, the, the shows will open up. There's nothing better than traveling overseas and meeting new people. I met people overseas, man, that I still in contact today for like 20 plus years. You know, so but you know, these times have forced me to adapt. Unfortunately, it had to happen like that, but it's made me stronger in a way. It's made me be comfortable being by myself. And mm-hmm. and and by being be, being by myself sometimes it's given me time to think. See, when I was in New York, everybody was at my house all the time. Like, and, and I would explain to my friends, listen, if you come today, but you don't come, but and you come tomorrow and then you come the next day, it's there, somebody there literally every day where, you know, you don't really sometimes want to tell your people you got to leave, but you know, down here gave, gives me a peace of mind when I can relax and I can focus and I can get everything in order.
2: Yeah just have to say I really respect that approach and I'm happy that you've found that balance but um, let's uh let's close off on a, a high note for your yes, music career you have a new record with yes. Aguilar called the gods have arrived like, tell us yes. about it please yes. the gods have arrived and that's a, with my man Aguilar as we
4: all know Aguilar that's my man he's a little high strung sometimes but I love him to death you understand I've known <laughs> Aguilar for a long time and um you know, he approached me about doing this project, and I was always with it. We've always been back and forth on each other's project. Um, and I think, man, he really, really, like, he really did, went in on this, man. Like, lyrically-wise and musically-wise, like, he really, really went in. And and I think people are going to have to recognize him because everybody's always known Aguilar. You know, he does his beats. But this, I think, is going to put him more on a level of... of of people knowing him and on a level where I think he wants to be and where he deserves to be, so you know I'm I'm happy to see that. I'm happy in the project. Uh, if you go to my Instagram page, we j- I just released tonight the Praise the Lord video. You know, okay. you know now now it is and uh trying to get with this new age of of like recording videos. Sometimes you're not in the same place and you know this the Zoom thing is another thing that's 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 become that's moving to the forefront uh, as a way to, you know, still stay on top of things. And, you know, I see people are doing shows now on this. So, you know, you got to adapt, man, like to these times.
1: Mm, I heard that. So the gods have arrived. It's out right now. You guys, everybody should pick that up. Yes, sir. Uh, Sadat, we are so, you know, lucky to have had you on this program, man. Thank you for coming on and just thank you for sharing with us, man.
4: Appreciate it, man. And we'll do it again, no question.
1: There it is. Be Praise well. You. Peace. Pod. We are back another week, another dope interview. Joining us in Zoom, we have the legendary A&R producer, um, all-around dope hip-hop dude, Dante Ross. How's it going, man?
0: How are you? I'm good, man. How are you guys?
1: Good. Doing well. Doing well, man. Uh, So, as we sit here today, uh, early December, we are at the 30th uh, anniversary of the release of Brand Nubians um, All for One, a record that you were intimately involved in. Uh, we had the the pleasure to talk to Sadat X um, a little bit ago, and we we kind of went over like what was it like when uh when that record was coming together. He mentioned kind of going to the sessions on the train with Lord Jamar and not having enough um money to get back like they would have to hustle <laughs> or or hop turnstiles to get back to new rochelle what kind of where were you at in your life when that was coming together and kind of what was your your role in the the all for one origin story
0: so so um you know i I was i think 24 years old when we made that record um yes yeah, 30 years ago so i was 24 years old when we put it out um and and i was um a neophyte at a major label i came from tommy boy I put out one record prior at a lecture that was a flop, a girl named Shazzy. And my my first signing though was Brand Nubian. So mm. um and I signed Brand Nubian because I was a brand a, a Grand Puba fan. I was mm. a master's a ceremony fan. I used to go to Latin Quarters and and I used to I knew Max. I knew Max and Paz K and a bunch of people. So I was always a big fan. I always thought that a Master Ceremony should have been bigger and he was the the star of the group, if you will. Mm. So um you know, I was checking for Max, and he brought me the demo at Tommy Boy, and I literally asked him to to fall back and and wait and come and rock with me, and he did. And on that demo was a song called "Ain't Going Out Like That." That Diamond D told me he has a copy of, which shocked me, because um, I've been looking for it for years. He said he's going to send it to me. Wow. Um, so you know, um, they they came semi-formed, but but, um Bah was. Um, I don't know if he's a new convert to the five percent nation but he was he was definitely um active and and fully embrace of his five percent culture and so jamar and and Sadat who came to me as Derek X um, were also indoctrined into the five percent nation so you know we started making a record and um it was a cheap deal I did the deal for sixty thousand dollars which which I thought was like. I didn't realize I could have given them a hundred and life would have been better. I really didn't realize it was of no no um reasoning other than um I came from Tommy Boy and we were signing groups for three thousand dollars. So mm. I really didn't know. I had no idea of economics at a major label. Mm. I was I was uh I was blind to the ways of mankind. <laughs> so, so, so um you know, like we worked at a studio called Calliope a lot, and Calliope um had a, X probably told you this, because it's like we always talk about this. There's a petty cash fund they had, and they would give you – you could finesse the petty cash, right? So Bob would always try to finesse the petty cash, so X and them would try to finesse the petty cash. It was often a scramble to see who could finesse the petty cash, which I think was $35 a day, if I'm not mistaken, was the, the food budget, and they could finesse it. So, so uh, that, that was part of the hustle, you know, and, and I guess um, – I really didn't realize how broke everyone was. I was, I was relatively <laughs> broke myself, so so um, I, I guess I wasn't really that acutely aware of it. Um, I do remember that that X went to Hunter College. Um, he hung out with these these, <laughs> these Spanish chicks. I used to really like one of them, Debbie. And, and she was like my little shorty at one point. Um, and and um, I don't know, man. X was you know it, it was a lot of fun. It was it was odd because the record took a long time to make. It took a year to make almost, right, on and off. And in that year, um, the dynamic in the group altered a lot. You know, Poobah almost decided to be a solo act in the midst of the record, right? He's like, I'm gonna, mm. you know, and I'd be like, what are you doing, Max? He was like, I-, I gotta do this so one, you know, for me, this is all me, I'm going dolo. And I was like, so Step to the Rear, which which um, me and my partners, was really my partner, Gibi, rest in peace, produced it. Um, so he decided to do that one for himself, and and uh, the only other reason there those guys have solo records on the album is in retaliation to Max doing solo <laughs> records. To be um, and, and uh, you know, I mean, I love Concerto Next Minor, so God bless, right? Um, and and it was it was just odd, man. It was uh, so I've been around groups that had tension before, and I had signed a leader somewhere along this to talk about tension. But Third Base, who were my kind of like a side project of mine, if that makes sense. I produced them and I kind of mm. helped make them be a band. Um, they went at it like cats and dogs. So so mm. I was like, oh, it's just like that. You know, these guys, they make, they're they going to hate each other and make it. Or, and, and you know, obviously, the, the one of the tragedies of that album, Brand Newbie and One for All, is that they did break up afterwards. And I implored Bah throughout it. To stay in the group, and I was like, "You can do a solo record and stay in the group," but he, you know, he um, a lot of ego involved. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I'll say is that I believe, and and no one ever really says this, that Pooh didn't rap the way he rapped until he encountered Sadat. Mm -hmm. So he is he Sadat was almost like Pooh part two. Let me just get rid of this thing that's popping up, this flash. so so I felt like Pooba altered, updated 12.0 on his style when when he encountered Sadat and, and uh revised his, his style a little bit. And you know, X is very futuristic because he rhymes off beat a lot and he did a lot of things that are just like really unique and has a crazy voice. So so it's never really acknowledged, but I do think that. Because Sadat was so unorthodox, Poobah stepped out of his box a little more. And if you listen to Master Ceremony and, and the first Brand Nubian record, he sounds different.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, you know, Poobah is a great producer. So so one thing people don't know is what a great producer he is and and um, how much of that record he was involved with on the production side. Um, so he, you know, we have this, this trend where people don't use drums anymore, right? Like Alchemist and Rock Marcy and all these cats. Poobah kind of did that first. So if you listen to One for All, there's no drums. There's a drum fill and 808. There's no drums. So when he took that record from a record that everyone had, James Brown plays and sings, it's it's not a plays the organ and sings. It's not a great record. But that one song in the middle of it has that loop. And it's one side of the record. It's cut in mono. And he Mm -hmm. took the drum heavy side. And that's where he got that. And the way he chopped that loop, the way he caught it, is genius. And I really feel that that's, the did it too on his first record, but it's one of the first times anyone made a record with no drums. Um, and, and it's kind of a blueprint for all the stuff that goes on now, ironically enough, though. I don't even know if those guys even know that, but, but that said, Puba was a great producer. He produced um, one for all. Sadat did slow down. No one knows that. Mm. Oh. And Sadat oh. came in with the idea and I was with him in the studio. Poopo wasn't there. And he was like, yo, let me get that Ohio Players record. And he borrowed my Ohio Players record for the drum, loop, Payne. And he used it. And And there's a little piece of dirt you can hear on it from my record. And and that became Slow Down. And we literally had, had to clear it and talk to Edie Burkell and the New Bohemians. So so we talked to them on the phone. It was all of them at once. And it was Jay, me, and X. And my lawyer, Gary Casson, And... And uh, they were really cool. They they wanted mm. to know what the song was about. They wanted to make sure that it wasn't about objectifying women. And and I remember mm. Mar explained it, and and uh, Edie Brackell was like, "Oh, that's cool. Like you you know, God bless. Go use it." And we used it, which was really cool, because um, they were like a big band then, right? They were like an MTV yeah. band, and yep. and uh, it was interesting. It was it was it was cool that we got to clear that. There was, you know, um, a lot of apprehension at the label it's funny because today i like I put something up about brand Nubian record on Facebook and a guy I worked with was like you know he ran a promotion where he's like oh you know we didn't we didn't hate the group and I was like so I've kept a journal most of my life and I was like I you know not a disc- I don't want to you know put you on blast here like I respect you but like you can always hit me on on my phone because he you know, they they weren't embraced by the staff Mm. They, they didn't have their own cause they mm. were combative um and and jamar will does this they swipe car vouchers off off my assistant's desk and they ran up a car bill of 16,000. <laughs> <000. laughs> yeah They were like taking cars like shopping all day and they finally got caught um and and we had to add it on to the bill oh uh, which, which at the time got me you know i i didn't i didn't see it as a revolutionary act. <laughs> but in retrospect, it's pretty funny. So, um, you know, like working with those guys was great, though it was it was a real experience. Um, I learned to navigate rough waters, wh- which happened far often as an AR guy in in my career. Mm. But um, I also, in the middle of the record, knew I was working on something great. Ooh, okay. So I suspected when we made Daylight, because you know I was in the studio with them the whole time, that we were working on something great, and. Me, myself, and I, I mean, I mean, uh, puddles in My Lawn had jumped from, j- it was it was a hit from jump, so it was plug tuning. So, both those records connected out the gate. Feel So Good did not. Mm. Feel So Good had a bad video, and the only person who played it was Red Alert. Um, it did not have a lot of legs to it, though Stretch and Bob played it. And, and those type of people played it. You know, wild man Steve and Jeff Fortson and those cats played it. The, you know, I think, I don't even think P-Fon and them played it. Because p was always a sucker. I don't think he played it. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> vibes. Oh, um, I don't think he played it. So, so it didn't get overwhelming support. Ralph McDaniels played the video because Ralph's always been my man. And and Uncle Red, um, you know, and they were like the guys that supported it. But they also had a relationship with Puba. And with me, so, so it makes sense. That's like the home team. Um, and, and it didn't come out the gate strong. But what mm-hmm. happened was while we were making the record, we made cassettes. And that record got bootlegged to death. Mm-hmm. I was Virginia Beach and heard that fucking record. Okay. <laughs> I gave a copy of the tape to Muggs. And b real, and Muggs had that tape. Next thing I know, Everlast had that tape. And this cat had that tape. And that cat had the tape. And Rob One had the tape. And Mike Nardone and Ems had the tape. So, you know, that was how it went, right? That's how songs, how things leaked back then. And it, I think it might've hurt us in terms of overall sales, but yeah. I think it helped the groundswell, the cult of the band. So by the time the record came out, it popped, which is funny is is it was a sleeper because wake up again, got banned from MTV. We had to do another edit, Fat Five, my man does the video and it gets, it gets kicked back to us. So I'm like, Freddie, like you, you, you're on air here. And my boys, Pete and Ted, Pete Doherty and Ted, Ted you know, rest in peace, Ted Demi, they, they both passed. They, they ran Yo MTV, but they kicked it back to me. And Jack Benson made me do another edit. And, and Jack was my man, too. So we did the edit, and the, the video was not successful. I had a new head of promotion guy named Ruben Rodriguez. He hated the band. He hated the video. This guy wore mink coats, and he didn't know <laughs> shit about me or the brand Nubians. You know, I was, I, I was going to work with a skateboard in size 40 jeans. Like he didn't want to fucking look at me. <laughs> I, was every, I was everything he hated. Um, white, dysfunctional and, and a skateboard. <laughs> plus, he was not fucking with me. And, and it didn't, it, it didn't do us a lot of favors. So the record came out and, and it, it was put out in the fourth quarter, December 4th, which is when you put out the home runs or things you're trying to get off the roster. Right. Mm. right. A funny thing happened. A couple of weeks later it started selling. And this record never went away. And by the time we got to spring, we knew we had a hit record because it sold ten thousand, four thousand, eight thousand copies a week nonstop. So it's a sleeper and it peaked around four hundred thousand sold when I when I still worked there. Maybe gold by now, probably no, but I doubt it is. Um I think they I think Electra's mishandled a lot of the repressing and, and the reissue. They've never really done it justice. Um so so I mean that's kinda the walk with the record. I mean, there were some interesting things that happened, like Pooh um neglected to tell me that LG produced Who Can Get Busy Like This Man and Pooh Positive and LG. So I got a call from I wanna say it was Wiz Kid, not Wiz, no, it was um Mr. Big from Soul Sonic Force. So the Zulu, the Zulu gods hit me on some like, hey, you owe me money. And I was like, nah, B, I would never disrespect. And he was like, nah bong 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 and lg never got paid and he didn't get no credit and poobah saying that's your fault and i was like nah that's not it like, wow because i was like and i had to i had to you know i had to um i had to call in the og favor from bam and them and and i straightened it out but Pooba also was reluctant to sign the contract for a long time to get lg paid and i saw lg like at the opening beyond the streets in new york and we we're laughing about it um but you know, LG did those beats, and Puba had had everyone think, You know, he had us thinking he did them. He never acknowledged that that LG did
3: those records. So dope, That's Um great. Dante. I mean, since One for All has been thirty years old, and you know, yeah. it's it's getting celebrated, and everybody's sort of looking back on it. But you were such a life force. I mean, a, 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 you know, such a big part of it. Um, where does it rank in your sort of personal favorite projects that you've put out through the years? So it, it's probably, um,
0: there, there's three projects that I, I love with all my heart. And, and I love every record I've ever made uh, for different reasons. But, but All For One is certainly um, right there with, with uh, Whitey Ford Sings of Blues, the Everlast record, and um, Old Dirty Bastard, Return oh. of Thir- Chambers. Those are the three that, that oh. um, were the most laborious but had the biggest payoff to me. So, so those three, and in the midst of all three of them, I realized I was involved in greatness. So, mm. so that was the common thread. And, and none of those records were easy to make by any means. And um, those are the three that I have a personal attachment. And, and because of my relationship also with all three of those artists, like for, for better or worse, I love Puba, right? And I, mm-hmm. I love the brand Nubians. And I've traveled all around the world with them. I've been to Japan with them. I've been to England with them. I've been all over the States with them. I, I you know, I damn near was a background dancer. Like I was a huge <laughs> champion of that group. And, and even when it came for a time for the second brand Nubian record, most people told me not to do it. And I did mm-hmm. it because I trusted Jamar and X. And, and for, for all of, um, all of the, the, the arrows and shots people take at Jamar, largely to the DJ Vlad stuff and blah, blah, blah. Um, I love Jamar, and Jamar has always been my man. He's always been a very righteous individual and about his business with me. Now, I can't say that about everybody and their dealings with him, but but he's always been a proactive, strong Black man to me. And, and I, I love my brother. That's my man. He hit me uh, about the anniversary the other day and, you know, because it's a little, uh, it's hard to talk about both of my partners past this year that I worked on the, those records with Mm -hmm. he sent me like you know rest in peace to your brothers and blah 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 so you know I love Jamar and he was he was a real motivating force in that record and the band's career so you know he he can never be underestimated for his his importance in the big picture
2: Mm -hmm. so yeah thank you for sharing that with us um I I have a kind of a question it needs a little bit of a preamble um you guys are producers and Stimulated dummies are in the mix as part of the production for the record, right? So, as the A and R, do you like wear separate hats, or because I could see a, a scenario where you're like, you know, what this record could use more of my beats, right? <laughs> or like trying to trying to like balance like where you guys should fit in on a project I that tried, you're I working.
0: To not do that, and it's funny because on that record, um, there was a contentious moment, so we did wake up, right? Once again, really, my partner, Gibby did it. I think I, I was always a drum guy, so yeah. so I had the drums for it. But he kind of did that when Nightlighters joined. And um, we did it, and, and we really liked it. I thought it was really dope. But you know, I walked in the studio, and they were doing the Roy Ayers version. Yeah. And I was like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? And they were like, oh, we were doing the song. And I was like, nah. And I stopped. I, I literally stopped the two-inch tape. I was like, fuck all that. And Jay and me, it got deep, but I was like, you know what, man, do what you got to do. We'll, we'll we'll figure it out. At the end of the day, and he was like, yeah, we will. And you know what, <laughs> the fact that Jay took such a stand, and that I um, I had to sit, I had to stand down on it, and and you know support what they were trying to do, uh, enabled us to make a classic. So that version is better than the one I did. Mm-hmm. I learned a very valuable lesson from that. And my partner was pissed. He was pissed. How can you have him do that? And I was like, yo, man, that version's better. Mm-hmm. People like it. That's the one. Handle it. And that record started getting some play on the mix shows and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's a, it's a classic, man. The, Yeah. Look, Mary J made her record because of that record. There's no, Mm. you can't tell me that Puff wasn't studying that. And the proof is that poo wrote, what's the four one one for?
3: Right.
0: You know what happened. I mean, Puff and Andre were managing brand new and they were inept. They weren't doing shit because they're running their business. And Chris wanted to manage them. Rest in peace, Chris Lighty and rest in peace, Andre Harrell. Um, And and I, I hit Dre up and I said, Dre, man, Chris wants wants to do this. He's gonna be proactive. Let me let me have Chris do this. And so he bowed out and Chris ended up managing.
1: That's um that's amazing. That that kind of fine line there. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about what goes into being a great AR? You have literally been listed amongst the great ARs I mean, in this. What are the what are the components of that?
0: You know, it's crazy, right? Because it's very different now than it than it was then. So for me, back then you know I um it came from um my my belief in my own ears and what I like right so before I did a and Tommy Boy I worked at at Rush Productions and I was like the lowest man on the totem pole like I can't even I was the office messenger mm-hmm. but I went out five six nights a week and um Incidentally, I was a good wingman. I was a good looking kid. I was like half a model as a kid. So, so Russell used to <laughs> like to run around the clubs with me because I, I, I was a magnet. So, so he, he would also be like, yo, J- yo, pretty boy, stop getting in trouble. James Dean, come on. We're going out. <laughs> <So, laughs> we run around the clubs a lot. And, and uh, I was like, you know, like, a gold chain for Russell. I was like, look at this guy. So, so um, but I was tuned into music they weren't into. So I go to Latin Quarters every Friday. I would go to the rooftop before that. I would go to Skate Key, The Castle, like I'm talking Zodiac, grimy spots, Um, but mostly the quarters. And because I was at the Latin Quarter and I was really tuned in to Red and all the underground mix shows, whether it was um, WNWK, um, um, Awesome 2, Hank Love, DNA, um, uh, any, any show, I listened to them all, taped them all. I always knew the records and I always knew where records was popping before they did. And I was the one who told them Run DMC was gonna catch an L. I mm. told them, I said, yo, they put out the Adidas sneakers and I was like, they, they gave me them. I was in the Adidas ad for those sneakers. Jeanette Beckman shot it. Wow. So I, um, I wore them and motherfuckers was like, what the fuck are those? <laughs> right? And I was like, yo, Run DMC so They're like, yeah, whatever. And I told Russell now, I told, told Leo. I said, yo, man, I'm running DMC sneakers, it's just not popping. And they're like, what? I was like, shit's changing, man. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, yo, man, you need to get up on BDP. And he was like, who is this BDP? I was like, they're throwing shots at your man running them. And, you know, if you, they said some, some um, black people want to portray themselves the way kings are walking, but we don't portray ourselves as stereotypes today. He's talking right. about Run DMC, you know? Like he says, walk this way, right? You, you catch uh, it.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. I'm,
0: and I'm tuning into Ultramagnetic and BDP and Stetsasonic and all this. Just, it's changing. It's getting different. Marley Marles popping more. And, and I'm tuned into that. And they're in their own bubble. And I start telling them about records. So they start to believe me. And they're asking me what records. I'm sitting at Nell's with Russell, Lior, Andre, Jimmy Love. And they're asking me, a 20-year-old white kid, what's popping in the streets? And I'm like telling them they didn't know because they can't go to Latin Quarters. They're rich. They can't go to Union Square. They're going to get jacked. I got $3 in my pocket. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so I'm going to Latin Quarters and 14th Street. And I knew Clark Kent. And I knew Red. So I could, I could go to all this place and hang out in the DJ booth. right? Always be the DJ's friend. That's the key of life. <laughs> if you're in a DJ booth, anything that happens in the club, you're good. So I always think I'm the DJ booth. So so um, you know, I believed in myself because I realized if Russell Simmons and Leor Cohen and Andre Harrell want to know what I'm thinking, I must know something. Right. So and I'm I'm you know, I grew up with the beasties and and um taste make fun of me for going to land quarters because I, I was like, always like I, w- I was really hood at that point in my life. I was just like, I just, I was knee deep in it. You know what I mean? And it was like, the world was very different. Every white kid in the world wasn't keyed in on rap music. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so, I was living a life that was just an extension of life I come from. I grew up in the Lower East Side. So, you know, like the records they're using for breaks are the records my sister played. So I know, mm-hmm. Catwoman, I know Apache. I grew up bra. I grew up with these records in my house. I grew up at block parties and a sister only day to black and Spanish guys. My whole existence was knee deep in Latin culture growing up. So, you know, I, I speak Spanish and blah, blah, blah. I grew up in Lower East Side. It's like, you know, I mean, so I'm like as close to being Puerto Rican with, without being Puerto Rican as you could get. So, <laughs> so um, I mean, Bobito calls me Puerto So, <laughs> 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 how I grew up and, and. More so back then, as my friend Peter says, he says, As you got older, you got more Jewish looking. He said, I thought you were Italian, Puerto Rican when you were a kid. So, so, um, so I was in all these clubs, and and Daddy, oh, God bless Daddy, oh, he was my man, right? That was my boy. Um, he got me the job at Tommy Boy. He put me, someone's destroying me because the Steelers lost. I'm a huge Steeler fan. <laughs> I knew they lost you. Um, so, so, um, he he said they offered him the job and he threw my he, he said he turned it down but he he said he want throw my hat in the ring, um and I said do it and one thing led to another I went and met Monica Lynch and and the first thing she played me was De La Soul and I was I mm. oh, mine. that she was crazy to me and I knew Paul mm. and I'm already, um and then the second meeting was right before Christmas I'll never forget it I, I wasn't really happy working at Rush um I felt like I had more to offer and. She um, called me to the office and told me I got the job. I thought it was a follow-up interview, and she said, and she said, in that group I played you, that's going to be your first project. Oh, so, wow. It was right before Christmas. I'll never forget, it was snowing out, and uh, God bless Monica Lynch. She's one of my my uh, most important mentors and a beautiful person who's still a good friend of mine to this day. Um, so from there, you know, I, I found a couple of things. I ran on Adela, and I met 45 King at Latin Quarters, and he brought me Latifah and I signed Latifah. You know, him and Fat Five Freddie played me over the phone. It's like a legendary story. And for reasons unknown, Freddie didn't come to the meeting. And, and I signed Latifah. And then I found Digital Underground um, because I knew yes. H. Gregory. And, and um, the record came to me from a guy named Ed Strickland, who was an independent promo guy. He gave me the record. And, and I heard it. And I thought it was really good. It was Do What You Like. And actually, it was Underwater Rhymes. And we picked them up for Do What You Like. Um, and I remember playing do what you like, the the demo for Dela, and they were like, sign that, Mm. signed it, and I didn't make the record, I went and got, I went to go work at Electric Records, because I I wasn't making no money, and Tom wasn't ready to write me a real check, and I I got offered more money than I'd ever thought I was going to make in my whole life, little did I know, it wasn't that much money, (laughs) but it was a smart thing for me to do with my life and my career.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome, uh, Dante. We really thank you for your time, man. Uh, just hearing about all for one, your thirty-plus year career is just amazing, uh, and you, you're still in the game. Uh, you want to, in closing, you want to tell folks about some of the the newer artists that you've you've got you got signed.
0: I work with Marlon Craft right now, but I'll be honest with you, I'm um, I'm am more focused on film and television right now. Okay, and uh, you know, me and Chael Coker. Have a show in development at amazon and i'm working on another thing with with a guy named peter blauner who wrote law and order he's a showrunner on it um about a guy named sterling johnson who's a legendary um prosecutor in new york city he was he's the highest ranking black judge in new york currently and and he's the first he, he ran a thing called the SP. So i so we're doing a show about him we're putting it together now so i'm just far more interested in that and, and i'm i'm kind of approaching it a lot like a I find stories and books and and, and folklore, and I kind of uh, buy the the rights to it, and then i 'm developing it, so it 's a longer process but but I believe um, where I sit in my life is a smarter thing for me to do I'm not that inspired by rap music I' I'm, look no knock on like ugly god but but I don't want to work on Sada Baby and Ugly God, the last couple of things I signed that's not how I want to walk away from from music and it's no knock on them, but you know I come from Rakim, and and yeah. come from another another chamber of, of greatness and Today's chamber of greatness is not my chamber necessarily. And, you know, man, mm. so it is. Culture changes. And, you know, I mean, there's like if I was working with Kendrick Lamar, I'm sure I'd be inspired, but I'm not working with Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: what's up. That's what's up. Dante, thank you so much, man.
2: Thanks for Thanks. the stories, man. Amazing. It's been, it was an honor, man. Oh, thank I you. to
0: plug one more thing. Please. Yeah. Uh, my book, I have a book coming out next year. Oh, of course. Uh, called Son of the City, uh, Rare, Bear, Rare Bird Books is my publisher. It's done. We bumped it from this year because of the pandemic. Right. Uh, it'll be out in, in, I think, the fall of next year uh, with a little luck. And it's done, edited. And, and um, yeah, we're assembling, doing the layout, putting the pictures in, and getting the cover together and all that shit. So.
2: Amazing. Oh, we'll right. be all over that. Maybe we could have you back on to talk about it. You, man. Let yes, me sir. know. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, guys. All Very right. Nice. Thanks, Latte. Be well.
1: rap pod that was our brand new all for one jamboree featuring interviews with sadat x and dante ross want to thank them for making the time um it was just amazing to kind of hear the stories and all the background that went into creating such an amazing and classic album Um, also just to kind of see where folks are at in their lives. I I thought it was really interesting, uh, Sadat talking about kind of his new career space that he's in, as well as Dante, uh, teasing his upcoming book, um, as well as doing TV shows and, and all kinds of things. So super dope. Thank them both. Again, encourage those who have not to check out Brand Nubian's 1990 release All for One. Per usual, we are the Dad Bod Rap Pod. We got new shit dropping every Thursday. We are barreling towards 150 episodes in three years, uh, which is insane. Um, and as we've done the past two years, we got a dope year-end special coming up. We have uh, our version of uh, the Grammy ballot, which is circulating amongst electors. Um, and we're going to come back to you next week with, you know, a very interesting year-end episode we're going to break down the best of 2020, the year that was a piece of shit, but had a lot of hot hot releases. So with that being said, you know where to find us everywhere that you get your podcast content. You can interact with us on Twitter, at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Instagram, at Dad Bod Rap Pod. I'll bring in a segment back this week called... Last words. We will start with you, Mr. Nate LeBlanc. Last words for the people.
2: Uh, I'll just say this: If you have somehow made it through listening to this entire episode and you've never heard not the album but the song "One for All"
3: mm-hmm. or "All
2: for One" as it's actually called uh, by Brand Nubian, like for me, that's about as good as golden era rapping gets. It's it's the stuff that I was talking about earlier where they, they approach things at these very interesting angles and it's just like, it's just incredibly vivid writing delivered beautifully over this mm. amazing beat that doesn't make any sense. As Dante pointed out, it's just, it's he just caught something like lightning in a bottle there, this weird drumless thing. So if if, if you somehow listen to this without knowing the song, you really should just go listen to that song and just think about what it was like for like, Literal teenagers to mm. create something that vivid and that that intricate.
3: So, oh, thank you, Mister LeBlanc. David Ma, last words. You know, I just want to harp on a little bit earlier. You mentioned that uh, through these 150 episodes, we've been lucky enough to talk with some of our idols. And um, you know, I just want to take a second to thank every guest that's been on the show. I, it wouldn't mm. be what it is without you guys. And um, every time I'm t- sitting here a little reluctant to sometimes do this program because you know we have fucking day jobs and real lives i sit down and i leave fucking feeling so honored so thank you
1: there it is see you next week dad bod rat pod
4: oído.